Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubt podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I am investigator Chris Anderson. I am a retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. All right, before we even get started, before we even give you one spoiler, if you haven't watched the episode yet, please pause the podcast, go watch the episode, and then come back and listen. Spoilers starting in three, two, one. We got it. Got another case we could get behind. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, baby. It's so weird because it always feels so good, but then it's it also feels so bad because yeah. you know our system got it wrong. Yeah, and this one was a long, long, long time coming because this right? guy has been in oh. prison for a very long time. How long has he been there? 50 years now? Close to No, 1975. Yeah, so he has been uh, in the system for 46 years. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. So, I mean, this is another one of these cases that you guys have gotten behind where we're dealing with a single witness case. And it's the quality of the single witness that's really so shocking. So in this case, you have an 18-year-old girl. She's got a fake ID. She walks into a liquor store. Next thing she knows, she's walked into a crime scene. She's been shot in the head. It takes her eight lineups to identify Glenn. And somehow, by the time she gets to the stand, she's just convinced, absolutely convinced that that he's the one. But God, is that shaky. And then, of course, we have the misidentification the first time. So obviously, she's making her best you know, guesses, but it's just really sad because we know that these people want to please the police officers. They want to you know, be able to bring justice for these families, but it, it's just so much can go wrong, and it does. I think this one was probably worse than what we've seen in a long time. And a lot of the single ID witness cases we have, you know, not only did she have eight lineups, she identifies another guy in the lineups, but she also admits to going through some of the lineups and looking at these people that are in the lineups and saying that he has his ears and he has his nose and he has his mouth and he has eyes like this guy. Well, to, to, to some of the people that have never worked a case like this, 
you know, that seems good. Okay. She's focused in on who she needs to pick out, but memories are so fragile. The moment that you start picking out certain aspects of another, you're building what you think this person looks like. And it's kind of tarnishing what he really may look like in your mind. So I don't, I didn't, I hated seeing that. It, it kind of blew my mind when I, when I read over that, it was almost like watching this investigation or anything, even going through this investigation was almost like people scratching their fingers across a chalkboard because mm. uh, at a lot of different points, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this is happening. Well, we're going to get into a lot more about the witness identification and other aspects of this case. But first, just a little bit of a refresher. December 30th, 1974. Suburban Ekman, Oklahoma. Two black men storm into a liquor store. One man pulls out a gun and shoots one of the clerks in the head. Within hours, she'll be dead. As the other clerk nervously hands over cash from the register... The gunman fires a second shot. This one hits a customer, 18-year-old Belinda Brown. The bullet enters her head, but miraculously, she'll survive. Over the next couple of months, Belinda Brown is shown eight different lineups. Finally, she'll pick out two 22-year-old men, Don Roberts and Glenn Simmons. The summer of 1975, the two men are put on trial. Simmons believes he has a rock-solid alibi. He claims he wasn't even in Oklahoma at the time of the murder. The state has no physical evidence, no fingerprints, no weapon, no blood. Just the eyewitness testimony of the teenage girl who had been shot. But it's enough. Both men are convicted and given the death penalty, which will later be reduced to life. In 2008, Don Roberts is paroled. The only thing you didn't take from me is my life, but you took everything I had. Glenn Simmons remains in prison, still hoping that one day he may be freed. So really hard to believe that someone would spend 46 years in prison based on that one identification. But basically, you guys went through everything. Was there anything else, even arguably any other piece of evidence that convicted him? I didn't see a single shred of evidence. I mean, yeah, you had the uh, teenage kids that were outside that I identified the co-defendant in this case. But I mean, when as it pertains to Glenn, the only thing that I can see that links him to it was the identification that was made by Belinda Brown. Right. Everything else is circumstantial. Mm -hmm. Basically, they had no evidence to show that he was actually there in Edmond, Oklahoma. There was nothing. Uh, other than that ID, they didn't show any statements, any photos, any receipts that he had been in that town, it, even within the state during that time. So what's interesting is when it comes down to it at trial, there are uh, a lot of witnesses who drive from Louisiana. They get a bus mm -hmm. and they drive from Louisiana to Oklahoma to testify on behalf of Glenn. They're his friends who were with him uh, for New Year's, the New Year's party. They were there for the playing football earlier that day. And they all testified, well, he's with us. He, There's no way he could be in Oklahoma. But they're discredited in different ways. None of them can actually be concise and exact hours. And um, because of that, it's, they point out, oh, none of these witnesses can get their story straight. It's like these people just came on a bus to testify on his behalf. They're off by a few hours or they can't say exact times because they're partying all day. It's New Year's Day. 
nobody's really looking at the time. So they're all giving, you know, different times, but generally the same story. But because of that, they're discredited. Yeah, I, I agree. Absolutely. You know, there were a lot of people that came up and testified for Glenn, even his aunt. His aunt was was the one that, that testified in this case. And I thought her statement, in my opinion, was very consistent. I mean, I, and I don't understand why she was discredited. Well, I understand why she was discredited because it's his aunt. I mean, we always look at their family members as they have an incentive to lie because this is her nephew. She, anybody would, somebody would get on the witness stand and lie for their nephew. But I just, I, I mean, her statement, when I read over it, it looked to be pretty consistent uh, and uh, believable. Isn't it? It's so scary as people, I know a lot of our fans watch true crime, so they've probably seen a lot of cases like this where uh, an individual's only alibi is that they were home watching television with their mom, mm-hmm. with their loved ones, um, with their girlfriend. It's like, that's us every day, right? For the mm-hmm. most part, it's not a big party every day where all your friends are there. Generally, our everyday lives are just hanging out with our loved ones at home. The difference is nowadays we have all this social media, we have all this data that can be track and perhaps a, a photo that can show where you were, what you were doing, and that can definitely work against people nowadays in cases. But can you imagine back in the 70s trying to prove your whereabouts, trying to prove a negative? Yeah. It, so so I actually sad. wanted to so I actually want to ask you about that, both of you. Now, Fatima, you spoke to Jackie Turner, who was a childhood friend of Glenn. Very heartfelt interview, great guy, but he tried to provide him with an alibi. And my question is this, now that the case is adjudicated, now that the burden of proof is on Glenn, can someone like Jackie with this kind of a testimony really help him anymore? Glenn was convicted for a murder that occurred on December 30th, 1974. 74. But his family says he was still in Louisiana at the time. Is that true? Yeah, I was with him. Really? What were you doing? We went to our normal place. Shot pool. And the next day is New Year's Eve. Do you remember bringing in the New Year with Glenn? Yeah, I do. What were you guys doing? New Year's Eve night, me and him went to this party together. Do you have any photos from these nights? No. Mm. So at that point, you knew he was only a few days away from leaving. Were you upset that he was leaving? Yeah. I was hurt that he was leaving. Do you remember saying goodbye? No. No? How can you be so sure? I mean, it's been almost half a century. Is there any chance that you have those dates from way back when confused? No. Because we were together. This this case makes me feel like how many men, elderly men are in prison, you know, sentenced to prison in the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s, and they're just innocent, but there's, there's no proof. There's nothing such as any kind of photo. And, and let's be honest here, right? Even if Jackie did have a photo, how do you prove that photo? There's no timestamps on photos anymore, unless there's a sign behind that says happy new year, 1975 or something like that. Even then, right? What's okay. How do you authenticate? But that's, I mean, that's the kind of photo we would need because there's just no way to really say, this this proves he was there. And it, it's just so unfortunate because I can't imagine how many people are behind bars because of this. And it's challenging, right? Because even like uh, an airplane ticket, I think he said he, he had headed over to Oklahoma on the 3rd or the 4th of January. 
even that was a his sister's husband or something who had bought it, right? So so anything that maybe back could have then, been that could that yeah, that could be done. They didn't keep the aviation records like they keep now. You know, it's not like we can, you know, bang on a computer, maybe a Lenovo computer where we can go back and look at the records or anything like that. <laughs> what a jab. <laughs> Don't hate on my computer over here, man. Did they have Lenovo's in the 70s? I feel oh, like they might have. Yeah, she, she probably, she probably, she probably got the last apples. Lenovo. Look, I don't, you two don't have as many student loans as I do, okay? So I'm over here with my Lenovo, keeping it humble. Let's not hate. But, you know, this is one thing that I, I have to mention, being from a, a family probably like Glenn's back in the 70s. You know, I, I recently we, we lost a family member and we were going back trying to find some younger photos for, you know, just to to, to do some remembering uh, things of that nature. And, and I remember we had parties on New Year's Eve every New Year's Eve. Every last one of them, we had those types of parties. When we were going back and looking for photos that may contain that one family member, we could only find one photo that we had taken in all of the years that we've had pictures. You know, Black families, we just didn't, we didn't document it. We always got together, but we just didn't have the access to, to you know, film uh, cameras back in the 70s to take pictures, which, you know, in this case, it would have done well. It's tough, right? It's unfortunate that none of the witnesses who came and said that they were with him that day weren't believed. But once again, I can't help but think Jackie said it was a different time and we know what kind of times it was. Yeah. I I think it's uh, one thing that the audience should probably understand because as unjust as this case was, and I think everybody felt that way, it's now incumbent upon Glenn and his family. They've got to prove it. They've got to find that picture. They've got to find that receipt because even though the prosecution back in 1975 didn't do really any kind of a job of trying to prove that he had been in Edmond, Oklahoma, he's now got to prove that he was in Harvey, Louisiana, as he says. That, that's it. I, I, there's no, you know, like we always said, there's no physical evidence that ties him to this case. There's no no weapon or anything like that, even though they mentioned in one of the reports that uh, the, the co-defendant in this case had purchased a weapon that matched uh, the type of weapon that was used in this murder. But there was nothing that was de- definitively linked that connects uh, Glenn or the co-defendant in these cases to this murder. I don't know. It bothered me the whole time. The whole time you guys were out there, it just it feels like there's a picture in somebody's attic that is forgotten out there that would change everything in this case. I mean, there might be, but once again, how do you, there's no timestamp on it. The family could say, that's the party. That was the day. And I would believe them, but that's not going to stand in a court of law. Mm-hmm. So once again, unless you've got a banner hanging back there, unless there's Something that was, uh, that, so, unless there was somebody who was alive in that photo, who we know that the next year they were no longer there, something, um, there's just, there, it's going to be very difficult to prove. And and they tried proving it at the trial phase. They tried proving the best way they could with what they had. And that was eyewitness testimony. Unfortunately, all those people were ignored. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to shift the conversation for a second to a guy who's kind of a mystery on all this the uh, co-defendant, Don Roberts. Chris, when you spoke to Glenn, he flat out said he thinks Don had something to do with it. I think he, to this day, he feels as though he got roped in, but that Don was the guilty one there. And just so we lay it out there, there were some kids who identified Don outside in the getaway card. It wasn't just uh, Belinda Brown. 
Yeah, there, there were. Uh, you know, I think um, the uh, news reporter that I spoke with that said that Don and he both stated that they had been in several fights where while they were incarcerated that because they thought each other had something to do with the murder. And yeah, Don was the one that was identified. And I saw in the uh, records that there was, you know, a law enforcement officer that says that they linked a 22 caliber handgun to Don as the person uh, as owning a, a weapon like that, even though it hadn't been definitively linked that the murder weapon would belong to Don. They talked about, him being the one that that had access to the weapon. So, yeah. And even during the statements, you know, uh, the the eyewitness in the case pointed out the, the co-defendant and not Glenn was the one that had the weapon inside of the store. So, yeah, a lot of this stuff points towards uh, uh, even if they were guilty of this crime. A lot of it points more so towards the person that's out of jail right now. And I'm not, and, 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 and not Glenn Simmons. Now, and I'm not saying that either one of these men were involved in this murder because me personally, I don't see where there's any definitive evidence that points toward their points towards their guilt. I don't, I mean, I, I, but, but I, you see more for Don, right? Because there's a secondary but, set of witnesses. But, yeah, most of the hard evidence points towards the, the co-defendant, the one that's out of jail during this time. And I don't want to throw this man under the bus. He is pissed off that he was even convicted of this crime and, and with, with great reason, but there's more evidence that points away from Glenn Simmons than it does to points at him. Right. I mean, even in Roberts, he's not identified in a lineup as the first uh, suspect. I think by this young man who does later identify him, it, he's shown a lineup of Roberts the first time and doesn't identify him. He identifies mm-hmm. him later. So obviously there's questionable identifications here. So we we don't know the truth. Right. But the reality is that he is um, identified also by somebody else outside of just the the, the main girl who had been shot. Mm-hmm. So I can see how that's a bitter pill for Glenn to swallow. So let's go to the victim uh, identification to the Belinda Brown, this 18-year-old girl. She is the one and only w- reason that Glenn Simmons is in prison. Now, she had been shot. She didn't pick him out until the eighth lineup. And then she did a sketch, and the sketch looked nothing like him. So I guess my question, and call me naive for even posing this question, but how do we get to trial when that's all you got? You know, I, I hate to say it, uh, but th- this would have never happened uh, where I'm from. Never. Not even in the, in the, well, I can't say what would happen in the 70s. It's a different time. It's a different uh, mindset. People have this, this uh, undying trust in law enforcement, you know, so we believe people want to believe everything that law enforcement says. And I'm not saying that they, uh, you know, they purposely set Glenn Simmons and, and, uh, and Don both up in this case, but it looks really, really bad because look, there was a guy that the, the person that the, the, the witness identified initially, he spent almost a week in jail and he didn't get out until, <laughs> until his boss bought his time card down there to show that he was at work right. during that time. So, you know, th- this was, this is, a, this is rough. And, and Rob, this, no, it's not naive for you to pose that question because honestly, as a law enforcement officer, I don't know how we even get to a trial with evidence like this. It's a sign of the times. Not to say it couldn't happen again and that it doesn't happen in other forms, but it's a sign of the times. And it's it's a pressure of a small town needing a conviction, people being afraid. This is this this wasn't a personal thing. It was two people who went in and shot a store clerk. It could they're dangerous, they're violent. They could do it to anyone. 
So you got to lock somebody up. And they really worked on this case a lot. They they were not stopping. And I mean, when we're talking seven, eight lineups, they're mm-hmm. taking this case very serious. It's it's their, their main case they're probably working on. They got to put somebody behind bars for it so that everybody else feels safe. Right. Even if they're not safe, because we know two people did this and there didn't seem to be much interest in actually finding the two people. It just seemed like let's let's close the books and call it a win. And we got to close this case. The saddest mm-hmm. thing is it's the whole justice system at play here. Right. We don't just have law enforcement. Then we have a prosecutor who says years later. There wasn't anything really. Can we talk about that sketch? The sketch to me was really outrageous. I don't know how anybody could look at that. Uh, You know, basically she sketched a hat, but it's hard to see how anyone could look at that and say, yeah, you know, I can see some features that might match, match Glenn's. I mean, there was nothing. No, you know, I I had. I thought he kind of had that same chin a little bit, but maybe (laughs) I was looking. (laughs) I I was looking really. I'm I'm trying to give this person the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, what did they get right? But here's one thing. Now, after doing the other episode, we did the Justin Lunsford one, where I, I got to sit down with somebody who who does these police sketches. Something she pointed out is it really does depend on what the person's focused on, right? So we know that in these photos. Uh, Brown, Belinda Brown is focused on the hats. She's actually so focused on the hats she can tell them the exact color. So uh, she says it's they weren't just dark hats, they were black. And there's all this detail in the hats. And then she talks about the coats that they're wearing also. And so that's she's focused on what they're wearing. So one thing that the expert had told us in the last case is when you're focused on that, you're, you're actually not going to be so focused on the face. So the face could be a little off. It could be different, which would explain this possibly. But even trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, I still only saw like maybe one thing that could match him. Yeah. So he, here's the thing with that, too. We got to think she's in a, in a, in a huge predicament. Now, she's 18 years old. She's going into a liquor store to buy, buy alcohol and with a fake ID. I don't know if either of y'all have gone in and bought alcohol with a fake ID, but I have. And <laughs> I'm scared. And every time I, I did it when I was young, I was scared shitless. I wasn't paying attention to nothing but go in, get what this I need. This podcast should be called Confessions of Chris Yearsley. <laughs> <Does it? laughs> oh, I, oh, I think I... You were in a gang. I didn't do any of that. Nope. Didn't have a oh, fake ID. Never right. set foot in a... Cl- That's right. I really were... didn't. I was... Look at was little Sandra afraid. D. That I know, right? was too afraid. Yeah, Yo, no, I wouldn't have done that. Don't make us go offline and start talking about some of the stuff you told us that you did. Miss. I'd like to know what that is because oh, I really? it must have been after twenty one for sure. <laughs> I don't All right, well let's let's, let's I'm gonna let's, let's rein this story back. So Chris, you got a <laughs> fake ID. And uh, tell us, finish your point about that. Sorry. So, so yeah, Belinda has a, uh, she's, she's 18 years old. She has a fake ID. She's going into this liquor store to buy this alcohol and come straight out. I can imagine her only focusing on where she needed to go, get what she needed, bring back, bring it back over and get out of that store. So I don't think that, you know, it's, it's hard and for she's, me to And she's shot. And she's and, shot. And, right. I mean, <laughs> it's hard for me to believe that she's paying attention to what happened, even though in her statement now she she does give she testifies to something completely different than what the other uh, store clerk said. She says that she sees the store clerk standing up behind the uh, counter and the two guys are standing up at the counter as she's walking by. But what the store clerk says is that she was down on the floor, you know, and she never saw Belinda even walk in the store. 
So that to me, you know, that's kind of a, 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 a that's concerning for me. But, you know, you got to think about it. This girl is walking into a store to buy this alcohol. I can't imagine her paying attention to anything else, but grab the alcohol. Let me go pay for it and get out of the store. But then she's shot as she walks past or while she's inside of the store. You know, that that makes it hard for me to believe that she could even see anything and be confident in what she saw if she's a victim uh, that, you know, ended up like she did during this robbery. And that test kind of proved it, the, the test that you did at the university. And what I liked about it was, you know, it's a trick question for these kids, right? They probably didn't think much of the person who was walking by them because we had told them you're, we're just coming in to have you say hi to D- Detective Anderson. And I'm sure they're being, they're thinking as that fight's going on that whatever the questions are going to be, because they know they're there for a test, is going to be about the fight. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really telling. And two of the three girls had no clue. They barely remembered passing this guy in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so- one. She only picked him out due to his body size. And, you know, she just so happened to be lucky, which that guy, that, that kid was a, he was a smaller lot than the other two, than the other two. Here listening to the Reasonable Doubt podcast coming up, Fatima gets a surprise when she speaks to one of the jurors. Chris finally goes one on one with Glenn Simmons and Kendra, the niece, calls in and gives us a little bit of an update on the case. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. 
To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the Reasonable Doubt Podcast. All right, Fatima, you got a chance to meet with Liz Thornton, who was a juror in the case, and you were able to lay out some of the things that she hadn't been told during the trial. And I thought it was really telling. The family's third issue is that the prosecutor now has doubts of his own. He does. Since the trial, he's written two letters on behalf of Glenn. For me, very interesting because this is the prosecutor and you rarely see something like this. That's very telling, very telling and very disappointing. That uh, That's just crazy. Do you still believe beyond a reasonable doubt that Glenn Simmons killed Carolyn Rogers on December 30th, 1974? Not with the additional information that's been brought forward. You have doubts? I do have doubts. But to have a a prosecutor write a letter advocating for someone that he prosecuted is huge for me. And I I think that, you know, does it once you look at this case as a whole and and look at the fact that the even the person that did that that conducted the prosecution has is now believing that this in this person's innocence. This is something that should be that, that that lets me know that something should be done about this case. Fatima, when you were talking to the juror and you showed her that letter from the DA where he expresses doubts about the verdict, about the conviction, you could just see her entire demeanor change. Right. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? We all trust, I mean, not us, but most people. And if you're serving on a jury, you're going to hope that the prosecutor bringing the case actually believes this person perpetrated the crime. You're going to hope that the judge uh, is doing everything legally, that they're allowing in evidence that uh, on both sides fairly. Uh, And you're going to you're going to hope that the defense attorney does everything they can to advocate for the defendant. But that's not exactly what happens. And this actually isn't the first time we've had a case where a prosecutor Mm -hmm. is written on behalf of the defendant. It happens. And the thing we have to keep in mind is things we've talked about in the past, that prosecutors have pressure, pressures for conviction. If you ever hear, you know, you're talking to a prosecutor, they're they're introducing a prosecutor on television, they always say, so-and-so with a record of, you know, an undefeated record. It's almost like you're this champion because you are not defeated. You're getting all these convictions. Here's the thing. Most of the time, the evidence has to be If you're getting a conviction, I hope the evidence is actually showing that that person deserves to be convicted. So let me ask you, and let's remove it from this because we don't know the motivations of these attorneys, but in a case where let's say a a superstar prosecutor who's kind of working his way up and is uh, you know has an undefeated record and he's the go-to person when uh, when when there's a high-profile case and let's say that that person is given a case and they look they look at the evidence and they're like eh, I don't know I don't know if this is really uh, something that we should be trying politically there's probably a lot of pressure on them to go ahead and do it anyway 
right? I mean, there are people above them who want this case closed. Um, I, I imagine there's a lot of pressure on these people to just go ahead and try the case, even if they don't quite believe in it. Well, their job is at stake a lot of times. Nowadays, once again, there's different integrity units within prosecutor's office that oversee these things, somebody you can go to discuss these things with. But I mean, we're talking Oklahoma in the 70s. This person, if this prosecutor did feel this way back then, uh, or if because later in life he's thought about the case a lot more, you know, at the time you have tunnel vision also. So maybe they just felt like they were doing the right thing and later had some time to think about it. But absolutely, their job is on the line, and that's that's got to be a lot of pressure. Chris, did you sense some uh, some of that politics uh, when you were on the job? I don't think I did. Look, I worked with a group of prosecutors, man, that you know they they were about justice. You know, I I think that they they have a a, a sense that. You know, we want justice, but not at the expense of of, of pushing the lines of what our right. criminal justice system says. Let's get to here. I mean, and Fatima, not to put you on the spot, right? But I mean, as a defense attorney, just so everybody's clear on it, a defense attorney does not have to believe in their client's innocence in order to represent them. That's not a prerequisite. No, the oath that I take is to zealously advocate for my client. Right. Now, prosecutor has a different set of obligations. Um, so, Chris, you finally got a chance to speak to Glenn Simmons. And this is kind of anecdotal observation on my part, but I do find that the people that we get behind, the people who are innocent, there's a simplicity to their answers. There were things mm-hmm. that Glenn just fl- flat out said, I don't know. And some of the ones where, you know, you don't, guys don't get behind the case and they ap- appear to be quite guilty, they have very long explanations for things, even things that they really can't explain. But I just want to play a clip from really one of my favorite moments between you and Glenn, just because, I don't know, it was just so real. If you're placed in front of the parole board today, would you still claim your innocence or would you tell them that you did it just to get out? I can't show him more for something I didn't do. I don't even know how to fake it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Shit, I probably would. <laughs> I don't know. I'm saying that now because I feel so strongly about it. I want to. <laughs> Why am I still here? Yeah, so there are questions that I'll ask some of our convicts that, you know, I just know that they won't be able to answer, you know, and most of them will say that, hey, you know, if I have to go before a a panel and tell them that I'm guilty, knowing that I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'd rather just spend the rest of my life in prison. But, you know, hearing Glenn say that, I, I thought it was, you know, very honest. First off, you know, this man has been in prison for 45 plus years. You know, he, he wants out. It, this is the truth, guys. If you're up for parole, you want to be able to show some remorse and you've got to give the parole board something that shows them you're accepting responsibility for your actions and you're going to change your ways. And so when you're just denied, denied, deny, unfortunately, you get denied parole. Um, but this moment was so authentic and I loved Chris, you laughing on camera, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't think we ever see him smile like that on camera. Uh, By by the way, the last time I can remember, Chris, you having a laugh with a convict like that was Roosevelt Miles, who, by the way, is also out. Uh, You guys got behind his case and he has been released. Um, And I do want to also just point out, Fatima, I believe some states now say that in parole hearings, the convict does not have to take responsibility. I think California is one of those states. Back in the day, it definitely was a requirement a lot on the parole board we're looking for. But yes, that has changed because obviously you don't want somebody innocent claiming um, that they are, you know, that they did it. But that's not every state. Looking specifically 
at the evidence that was used to convict him. I, I don't think this man should be in prison. I think this is one of the rare cases where there really wasn't any discussion. I mean, I think everybody felt that way from the get go on this case. You know, that, you know how I am in, in coincidences, you know, that, that I, I absolutely hate them. So there were some things that gave me a little bit, just a small bit of concern when you. When me you too. We, we, we talked about those things. There were, there were a couple other. <laughs> what, were, what were those things? Tell, so, tell us what those things were. The one thing that what well, one of the two things that gave me a little bit of pause was both defendant or both convicts in this case were claiming that they were completely out of the state when it happens. Uh, that was concerning. You know, you usually don't have both defendants or both convicts com- claiming the same thing. The other thing that gave me a little bit of pause was the fact that both defendants claimed that they meet up just a few weeks after the murder happened. You know that. These are small things, but they are things that as an investigator, the antennas should go up and you should well, really, and really look another into Another thing, Chris, that you may be forgetting is that he was technically implicated somehow, that he was a suspect in another robbery that happened weeks after this one. Um, and that both defendants do have somebody in common that they know. And so that's how they were supposedly met at that party. So, there, you know, there's a criminal history here. Um, or, or Glenn just keeps getting mistaken, um, and pulled into these things. I think ultimately there were some things that seemed a little sketchy about his possible ties to Don Roberts. I also think it's really uh, important for the audience to understand because we're always explaining uh, why sometimes you guys can't get behind a case. Um, Getting behind a case doesn't mean that 110% you guys just know that a convict didn't commit the crime. That's not necessarily the case. It's just that the evidence overwhelmingly seems to show uh, that the that they got the wrong person. And on top of that, I think it's also that you guys see the potential for a new trial, right? In the case, in a case of something like this, it would be a breakthrough, a receipt, a photo. Absolutely. Might- and you have the prosecutor saying, I mean, let's, let's all talk about how it was the death penalty that was being sought at the trial phase. Then we have in 1995, when he's eligible for parole, the state of Oklahoma is recommending him for release. In 1995, for some reason, the governor is denying his release. And that that I, we don't know. The governor denied his release, and we know that Don Roberts is released in 2008. So something's going on here. Uh, I don't know why Glenn Simmons is honestly still behind bars. It's disturbing. All right, Chris Fatima, joining us now, really, like, in a lot of ways, the heart of uh this episode uh kendra kendra how hey, are kendra, you how are Hi, you doing kendra. hello i'm doing fine <laughs> how's the garden um it's going well we don't have uh too much going right now just things that are in season but it's going well nice so have you and uh glenn been talking much lately since we left he did wind up having a surgery and so Sur- that kind of uh took it off because he got I think it was it was cancer. Basically, he had surgery for oh, that, man. and then re- just recently he got his cell phone. I think taken. So I have not yeah. been talking to him much at all. I'm sorry to hear that. I hope he's doing okay. I didn't know he was diagnosed with cancer. And I didn't either. Honestly, I didn't find out until he was actually in the hospital. 
So has it changed anything for you, for Margot, for Glenn, uh, since Chris and Fatima decided this was a case they wanted to get behind? I know it's been such a long fight. An attorney was trying to uh, file, I think, an age compensation. And you could correct me if I'm not saying it right. But like just basically for his old age is what they were waiting on. But I don't think there was any word back from that yet. Yeah, I mean, the truth is that's honestly one of the best routes, that and, and him finally getting paroled. Mm-hmm. So hopefully... What you really want is some exposure on the case. So I'd encourage if you guys have a website that people can go to, especially because after people launch these episodes, the fans really want uh, to to support and get involved and do what they can. And if we don't have anything to provide for them, it's it's a little frustrating, especially because they're outraged after they watch the episode and watch what happened. So if you have any kind of petition that you guys um, already have together, sign you know, sign this petition. It's just that helps if there's thousands of signatures showing their support for him. So you could put that together or just a website where people can go to and sign up and know how they could help other ways. Um, you know, that's, that's something you may want to consider because I think that a lot of times our people that we've worked with on this show, we end up seeing them get paroled the next time around or early release. I think a lot of it can just be that exposure and that pressure from the media. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can push all of that through your social media. I didn't know that uh, that, that you all had a uh, social media page. So it, it's, as soon as you get it together, post it on your social media page, send it to Fatima and myself. Mm-hmm. And then we'll Link post up it on to ours. us. Yeah. Yeah. Follow okay. up. Yeah. If you follow our pages, we follow all of the pages that we get behind. We follow them all back and start doing as much advocating as we can from from our space. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's like, why? Why isn't he at least being paroled? This is he's done so much time. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and we're doing this interview, just so everybody knows, uh, right before this airs. Now, I think you're going to see the day after that there's going to be a change. There's suddenly going to be a lot of interest in this case. Okay. Okay, got it. So I know Margot wasn't able to join us, uh, and we really wanted to hear from her. Uh, still blown away that she's been fighting like this for 45 years. How How is she doing? Still in high hopes, high spirits. Um, but other than that, that's really in it and just working she's a very strong woman (laughs) i she just reminds me a lot of of my mother um she's endured so much so it 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 explains why she has this real tough exterior and she remains hopeful and strong one is her faith but she's lost uh, a lot of people in closest to her including a child and so you you just know where her her passion comes from and this um, you know this nonstop fight for those she loves. How are things have been going with you, Kendra? Have you been keeping yourself well throughout this COVID season? Um, I guess as well as I can. I mean, mm-hmm. as being an educator, we have been in um, my grade alone. We have been having a lot of students um, that have been testing positive and having the quarantine and just different things. So. I mean, as well as we can. I mean, there's no social distancing or virtual school, so it is what it is at this point. Wow. Do you still have hope, Kendra? Do you still, uh, I would hope it's stronger than even when we saw you, but I mean, does it feel like this really could happen? Going off of faith, I would say he's still here for a reason. However, I do get discouraged sometimes when I do feel like, okay, it's not going anywhere. I would say that. I really think you're going to see a change in momentum once this runs. Just be ready the next day. <laughs> I really hope so. Mm-hmm. 
we know that you all have been through a lot and it's been a very, very long and tough 45 years. So, you know, we hope that, you know, this airing of the, the episode and, and the, the people seeing what truly, truly happened to your uncle uh, helps push this thing along. You know, this is just me. You know, even when we told you, you because y'all have been going through and fighting for this for so long, it just feels like, OK, here it is. We're getting our hopes up again and it's going to fall, you know, but I don't think it's, it'll, it'll happen this time. I, I think that we can really, really do some things once people realize what happened to your uncle. He's got to get home to his family, especially now if he's if he's going through mm-hmm. and he's got these health issues. The good news is I don't know how the you know system is there, but. In California, if you're in prison, you got a health issue, you're pretty taken care of. So, <laughs> well, we want to we want to hear some difference. of that uh, slam poetry and rap you told us about. So, <laughs> gotta gotta get him out, and uh, we'll do a podcast follow up. <laughs> oh, I forgot him. I thought you were talking about Kendra. Oh, Kendra, you do slam poetry? Let's hear it. No, no, but uh, but uh, but apparently Glenn won some competitions, right? So yeah. that, made, that made an impression on me. I, I'm not sure why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Kendra, thank you so much for uh, for joining us and giving us an update. And um, just be ready. I hope you and Margo are ready because uh, as soon as this runs, I think you're going to see a real difference and momentum and people who are going to want to join your fight. Well, hopefully I'll be ready because give some kind of joy and more hope. So all right. Well, thank you, Kendra. Thank you. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. Yeah. So this family has been through a lot, man. This has been 45 plus years of them trying to get some sort of relief for their uncle and for their brother. And at every single turn, they have been turned down. You know, they've lost so much family members and and Glenn's biggest advocate is no longer with us. And that's his mother, because, you know, from what we learned from them during the interviews, man, she was she was on it about trying to get some relief or get her son out of prison and he's lost his mom. She's lost her mom. They've lost a lot of time. They've lost a lot of, of, of everything. And then, you know, we come in and we say we're going to help. And it has been almost 50 years that this man has been in prison. And, you know, while they're excited about it, they just don't know how to, I didn't feel as though they wanted to get too excited about it because they don't know, you know, this could be another, high and then they get dropped back down to the low. Yeah. I I think they must've been disappointed so many times. I can't imagine that they're willing to let themselves get too excited about anything. I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, just as much as they've been through in their personal lives, um, I think it's, it's difficult to, to keep that hope. And they're just trying to keep him strong too. We've talked to other prisoners who have been in there for half the amount of time that he has. And, the struggle just to maintain that hope and faith is, is tough. So I can't imagine what he's been through. All right. Next Monday night, guys, it is the final episode of season four of reasonable doubt. It went by so fast and we're going to be doing the Lee Harris case out of Chicago. And it is a man who literally talked his way into prison for a $25,000 reward. It's a pretty wild case. Monday night, 10 PM investigation discovery. Please check it out the following day. We'll have our podcast discussing the uh, behind the scenes of the case. And it was a it was a pretty wild one and a pretty controversial one. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. Until then, my name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. 
And I am investigator Chris Anderson. I'm a former homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt. And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt. Until next week, everybody stay safe. Chris, please take us out. Peace. Oh my gosh, that sounds scary.